Hi everyone, welcome to Under Control. I'm Paul Bartlett and on today's special episode, I'll talk with Troy Hunt, the founder of Have I Been Pawned, and also Istvan Lam, CEO of Trezorit, who is the cryptography expert. We will discuss how the aggregated data site, Have I Been Pawned, gives insight about the magnitude of data breaches. Also, how hackers trade passwords on both the dark and clean web and what measures we can take to prevent personal data theft. Stay with me to uncover the answers in this episode. Good morning, Troy. Good morning, Istvan. G'day, guys. Uh, good evening, I think I can call it here now. Yeah, good evening, certainly. Uh, welcome to the show. And Istvan, good morning to you then. Welcome to the uh, Treasurit podcast. Thank you. Good morning. Okay, thanks a lot for joining the show this morning. Um, it's great to have you both on here. Um, and we certainly got some interesting topics to cover. I think, first of all, what I'd like to do is obviously ask you both to give you a short introduction about yourselves and um, some background also. Uh, it's interesting to hear the stories about how you got involved in security and, uh, and software. Troy, over to you. All righty, so background. I started building software for the internet uh, let me see now, probably 1995, early days of the web, mm -hmm. went and uh, had a whole bunch of like dot-com work, worked for a big multinational, figured out I don't like working for big multinationals, realized a lot of people are writing really bad software for big multinationals, <laughs> and then got really interested in uh, insecurity as a result of that and went on to uh, be an independent person who does a bunch of training. I used to say travel around the world and do training and, and conference talks. Now I just do training and conference talks uh, and I run Have I Been Pwned as well. Right. Okay, great. Istvan? Um, I've been involved in secrecy from the cryptography parts. In my background, I'm um, cryptography engineer uh, by education. And my thesis at the university was about cloud encryption. And that later uh, evolved and became a, a startup called Trezoreth. And now we are, I'm, I'm you know, the CEO of Trezoreth um, and I am a have been engineer yeah. um, and doing mostly business, but uh, deeply involved in, into the crypto design mm -hmm. uh, as for today as well. Okay, so we're gonna cover some of those topics today. So first of all, as I've got you both on the show, um, I'm sure you've got a lot to add about the security aspect of, uh, of what you've seen and what you've experienced, where the flaws are. Um, and the first topic I wanted to kick off us off with is about um, have you been pawned? So Troy, maybe you can tell us a little bit about this uh, web page and a little bit more why you, you, you brought it to like, well, you know, what created it for you? What was the inspiration? Well, the, the first thing I'm doing is I'm just checking if anyone has registered haveyoubeenpwned.com uh, because that's not the right website. Yes, I registered it. Cool. And it redirects to haveibeenpwned.com, which is the correct website. Thank you. Right. Okay. Thank you. I, I knew there was a reason for squatting on all those domains. <laughs> so <laughs> have I been pwned? I'm sitting on have I been prawned as well, just in case, because that oh, happens right. every now and then. Um, and also have I been pawned, which I believe is a totally different thing. But anyway, that goes to this website too. Okay. So uh, have I been pwned is a data breach <laughs> aggregate. I could keep going. There's so many of them. It's a data breach aggregation service that uh, takes data that, that has been breached out of somewhere, usually data which then starts circulating around the web, aggregates it into one place and makes it searchable. Uh, and, and in simple terms, it's just designed for people to figure out 
where they've been pwned in a data mm-hmm. breach. Okay. Okay. And uh, w- when did you start this? How long ago was it? Is it, um, was it you know, how long has it been active? Well, I'm actually just about to hit the seventh birthday. So I think it was right. early December 2013. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, your motivations, what did you see when you first started? Was there, was there a, something where you were just saw something which was blatantly obvious where you needed to bring this, this web page to fruition? Well, the, the catalyst was the Adobe data breach. So, I mean, leading uh-huh. up to there, there'd been a, a bunch of different data breaches. I was right. writing blog posts on such insightful things as, isn't it interesting how the same people who appear in multiple data breaches have the same password? Uh, which, which, look, I mean, I thought it was interesting. I'd take things like the Gorka data breach and compare it mm-hmm. to the Stratfor data breach and, you know, there's a, an amazing amount of crossover there. And look, it was when Adobe hit when it was like 150 million plus records and, and of a more personal nature to me, it was two of my own records. It was both my work account and my personal account. Mm-hmm. And the thing that really struck me with Adobe was it, it was not an organization I knowingly had a relationship with. And uh, the penny dropped later on that because I was a, a big Macromedia Dreamweaver user back in the day, <laughs> I had a... Macromedia accounts and, of course, Adobe acquired Macromedia and my data then flowed to somewhere else that I never expected it to appear. Right. Mm-hmm. That sounds familiar <laughs> in these, these, these days. So um, is it a solution or is it just a source of information, um, the web page? When you look at it, you put in, um, I suppose it's you enter your, your credentials. From what I can see, there's like a search bar there. Um, and what can it tell you? Well, you enter your email address and and what it will tell you based on your email address is the places that I have seen your data circulating. Now, uh, is it a solution? Depends how you look at it. There will be data breaches that are not in there that you are probably in just by virtue of the fact that I can only index uh, what I can obtain and I can only obtain what we know of. I mean, there's so many different incidents that have happened that we simply don't know of. So from an informational perspective, it's part of the picture. But I, I think that the more important thing is, is what do we want to happen as a result of this? So, for example, I would like people to change behaviours and use a password manager. Mm-hmm. Now, that, that then becomes part of the solution. This is why I've, I've literally got the, uh, the one password password manager sitting on the front page here. I'd like people to have that penny drop moment where they go, oh, my password has been exposed and what's up here on the top here somewhere? Uh, let's say the chow bus data breach. Actually, I don't Mm -hmm. even know that they have passwords. Anyway, one of the websites that have passwords. And now as a result of that, I'm more conscious of my security and my solution is that I'm going to get a password manager and have strong, unique passwords everywhere. So that's what I'd really like to see. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm just going to bring Ishvan in here about passwords. Um, As from a cryptographer's perspective, um, what, what is it that you also see or have seen in your time around, you know, user behavior or the, you know, the lack of security or the way, just the way that people um, tend to use common passwords or where's, where's, where's the issue here? There's uh, two issues. Uh, one, one issue is, uh, I think uh, uh, Troy knows it very well that uh, even if people choosing strong passwords, uh, they are reusing it. So that, uh, when you are, um, a human being, you cannot really remember strong passwords, hundreds of strong passwords. Just, just face it. And um, if you are reusing it, uh, basically nowadays, uh, if 
there are you know data breaches everywhere one only one system needs to be breached and and then all your accounts will be breached because uh, that will uh, leak your password most probably and then uh, then it uh, goes out to the wild the second uh, second very important uh, um aspect is the weakness of the password so uh, the weakness when uh, when it comes to you know how many guesses you need to make randomly to find out you know, that password and uh, and when it comes to encryption we are you may heard the, the you know 256 and uh, 128 bits encryption uh, it basically uh, talks about the number of uh, uh, number of uh, variations you need to uh, or the inner variation of the keys used uh, for encryption it's two to the power of 128 but when it comes to passwords it's way 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 lower in terms of uh, uh, variation potential variations uh, is uh, so much lower than i would uh, say that for instance uh, um let's say you have a uh, human hair and uh, that's that's one uh, that's the uh, um, human generated password and the strong uh, encryption key is the diameter of two million universes mm -hmm. so the, the, you have one universe which is big compared to the human hair but two million of them is is even bigger and it's still that's the that's the ratio uh, between uh, uh, the potentially good passwords uh, or potentially good keys, it's not uh, passwords, and the human-generated uh, uh, passwords. So the, from cryptography speaking, it's uh, it's weak. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's 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 really really weak when it uh, is a human password. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. And so I suppose my question to both of you then, because I am one of the people that's just all these frontline users, and I'm guilty of using the same password or have been guilty to use the same password since i came to treasure it things have changed and we use password managers and things like that but in the past i've been that person that has been out there and it's just easy to remember right it's just like and it's probably a combination of things around me whether it's door numbers um parents names or kids names whatever that may be so what is it that and I think before we started the show, Ishvan, you mentioned this is like there's the dark web out there. What is it that people are doing? How is it? How is it working? I want to try to understand more about what these hackers are up to, um, and maybe Troy can jump in here as well because he's also understands a little bit more about um, where these these sources are coming from, and you know what are they doing? What technology are they using to to break the passwords? Uh, maybe I think the thing that's most concerning at the moment is a sort of two part answer. Mm. is uh, I, I'm less concerned about people brute forcing individual passwords and more concerned about the mass usage of credential stuffing lists uh, mm. with combinations of username and passwords. So credential stuffing is just something which is massively rampant at the moment due to the mass ubiquity of username and password pairs from previous data breaches. So I, uh, I actually did a presentation only a few hours ago. I showed the uh, collections one through five. So January last year, they began circulating uh, very broadly what was referred to as collection one, mm -hmm. which was 1.1 billion unique combinations of email address and password pairs, including my email address and terrible password, which I had previously used <laughs> in the past. Right. 
Now, inevitably, these were taken from a data breach where they were either stored in plain text or weekly hashed and then cracked. And collection one was then followed by two, three, four, five, and that was about 15%. The 1.1 billion records was about 15% of the whole lot. So what concerns me most is people take these massive lists and then due to the prevalence of password reuse, they simply throw these credential pairs at authentication pages or authentication APIs behind apps and see which ones work. And I, I honestly, I, I chuckle a little bit when I hear people talking about the dark web because people are so worried about the dark web. And I, I sort of say to them, you know, like, you know what's even worse than the dark web? It's the clear web because so much of this data is sitting there on the clear web, yeah. really easily accessible. And in fact, the talk earlier today showed a tweet with collections one through five links to mega NZ accounts. So you know, mega is a great file sharing platform, but it makes it very, very easy for someone to massively redistribute very large amounts of data very quickly. And, and I say the clear web is much worse than the dark web because of how quickly and prevalently data will spread once it's shared. So, so that's what I worry about most. That's what I, I think the, the biggest threat we're facing with passwords is at the moment. Sean? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's important to, uh, to highlight that, uh, yes, you're talking about the clear web and the dark web, but uh, uh, what I... Um, realize talking to, to people who are not uh, in the secrecy that uh, uh, they don't know about the ecosystem behind you know that uh, uh, the secrecy breaches so that uh, there there is a you know there is a, a a value of one account and and troy you you collected uh, these databases and and you used for for good but there are people out there who who want to use for bad and mm. how much I mean, how much was it to to get your databases? Like an hour search and and nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's easier now because I don't do anything. Like people just yeah. pop up and send it to me. So in the very early days, like I had to go out and find data. Like the really really early days is in the first few weeks, and then after that, most of the time people pop up. And what what blows me away? Like I'm looking over here at my email at the moment. There are so many inbound emails where people are like, here's 100,000 accounts. Uh, so here's someone here. Here's yeah. 200 gigabytes worth of data on Mega. Uh, and in fact, in, interestingly, that 200 gigabytes worth of data, which came through only earlier today, is again, all of these credential stuffing lists. So someone's like, here's 200 gigabytes of email address and password pairs, which is just, it's, it still boggles my mind. I mean, I might just say it. But was the source? I mean, yes, you you got it in an email. But what what's what's your guess? How that person who sent it to you got it? I'm pretty sure that not the person who who hacked into the system. Yeah. So my guess is that they have got a friend, <laughs> a friend. I'm air quoting for people who's listening, uh, who's passed it on, or they have aggregated it themselves from different sources. Well, one of the things I actually think is really fascinating, and I'd love someone who's a, I don't know, like a psychologist or something like that, who has an insight into people's minds. But I find it fascinating how much data spreads just from people who want to hoard it. And I, I see this all the time where people are like, you know, here's a directory listing of all of the data breaches I have. And you sort of go, well, like, why, why do you have this? And very often it's, it's either children or very young adults. They're not necessarily monetizing it. They're not necessarily doing anything with it. They collect it. And in fact, sometimes I've asked people and they're like, well, you know, you never know when one of my friends is going to be in there and I want to target them or something like that. But it's, um, it's just fascinating the way this data replicates. And then I've, I've likened it in the past to, 
It's a bit like I imagine kids with baseball cards, maybe kids in America with baseball cards and they like swap them with each other. But unlike the baseball card, when you swap a card, you no longer have the original one. But when you swap data, it, it, it replicates and you just get more and more copies of the same thing. And uh, you mentioned monetizing. I mean, in here, uh, what what uh, I, I think is important f uh, uh, for nowadays uh, hacking is is not like if you want to make uh, uh, someone's life harder, it's you need to hire a hacker. You can you can buy it, and and there is not a big price tag for for an account, right? Yeah, and look, I mean, we have seen uh, multiple sites very similar to have I been pwned in nature insofar as you enter an email address and then you get results from data breaches, but that have gone so much further where they've said, hey, you know, you just search for like, I don't know, john at gmail.com, uh, there is a result, pay like $3.50 or something like that, and then you will get all of the data about john at gmail.com. Uh, so we had uh, services like Leaked Source a few years ago. That got shut down. Um, <laughs> I kind of laughed when it got, sh well, I laughed for many reasons, but one of the reasons I laughed is that the guy who was running it, um, now you, you would think that if you're running what is essentially an identity theft trading service, you try and fly under the radar. And, of course, once the guy got caught and he's all over the, uh, the, the tech articles, the dude's like 24 years old, he's driving around in a bright green convertible Lamborghini. It's like if you're out there thinking you're going to run like a massive data identity theft trading scheme, don't drive around in a green Lamborghini. <laughs> this is the worst idea. Uh -huh. So there was leaked source. Uh, only, I think it was last year, WeLeak Info got taken down as well. Uh, and I think the, the key term in both of those being leak is probably a bit of an indication of, of their, their morals around how they handle this, this, uh, this data. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to come on to that um, because you testified in front of Congress, uh, I think three years ago in 2017, um, where you said, um, this is a quote, that we've created the perfect storm. Could you give us a little bit more elaboration on that? Where, where do you think this, is, this perfect storm's uh, caused? What's the, obviously the well, <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's, it's really the, the factors, right? So the different factors that contribute to the spread of data breaches. Now, now some of them are sort of very easy. Uh, there's more people on the internet, you know, yeah. like there are more people out there to begin with. There are more websites. So that's a problem as well. And then what we're doing is we're collecting lots of data that we never had digitized before. So I've written in the past around things like uh, kids' tracking watches, so there are applications that will track your children as they walk around with a GPS-enabled watch. Uh, and in a very self-fulfilling prophecy, <laughs> only last year, my, my daughter's tracking watch, which I only got to point out the flaws in it to begin with, had her account data leaked due to a vulnerability in their application. So we're collecting data like that. We're collecting data on uh, my washing machine is connect connected. Yeah. So the, the washing cycles, which are not deeply personal to me, if I'm honest, but my washing cycles are somewhere there in Samsung's cloud. There are other devices connected to the internet now that are deeply personal, and we won't go into those details here, but <laughs> use your imagination. Mm. So the point is we're collecting a lot of these classes of data. We're exposing it to a lot of different a lot of different devices that just never had internet connectivity before. And then we've got cl cloud, which is fantastic because you can do so much stuff with cloud and you can do it so quickly and cheaply. 
and you can screw stuff up so quickly and cheaply as well. Mm -hmm. So it's great for like democratizing access to compute services, but it also makes it extremely easy to have data breaches. Mm. And then like the, the last thing to just make it even worse is that we're wanting to interact more and more between different services and share more and more data. How many applications do you have that want to access your contacts or get access to your inbox in order to connect you with friends on a social network? And then another layer on top of that is, is the whole social layer of we, we now look at people like, say, my son, who's 11 years old and yeah. is, is getting much more sort of online interested in that sort of thing. He's never known a time where you don't extensively share personal information. So the social norms are changing as well. So that, that to me is, is what creates a perfect storm. Mm -hmm. Ishvan, do you have any feelings about that too? Sure. I mean, it's uh, we are uh, uh, collecting so many data and putting it in, in one place or a few places. Uh, uh, and that's, uh, you know, these data centers, uh, usually homogeneous uh, systems. So that the same type of systems. And basically how I see this homogeneous systems are like, like uh, you collect a lot of you know, woods and put it in one place and and you put petrol on, on top of it. Uh, and uh, yeah, it, it will not light up itself mm -hmm. for sure, but it's uh, there is not a very big chance at some point, even a lightning will strike and, and will light it up because it's uh, so uh, it's, it's fragile, uh, uh, really fragile. And uh, uh, what I, I see in, especially you, uh, Troy mentions uh, cloud um, and what was before that uh, uh, different systems and different uh, providers uh, build their uh, system up on uh, on a separated ways. Yeah. Uh, but it, when it comes to, you know, Facebook has uh, uh, 2 billion you, uh, data. Yes, they have a, a big amounts of the big, huge budgets for, mm -hmm. for security and, and they're trying to protect that 2 billion data records, um, but at the same time, they're, uh, they're a good prey. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, uh, uh, they are a good target. They are, uh, 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 just imagine these large uh, data sets. Um, it's, it's, it's worth to, to hack. It's worth to invest in, in, into uh, the hacking more. And, um, it's, and then it comes to the accidental and also uh, hacking what usually the data breaches uh, in mind is associated with but there are willfulness in, in this and and the big budgets mm. uh, behind of the uh, these the breaches uh, when people are attacking uh, certain services uh, just mm. to just to get data just to get uh, uh, that uh, uh, information and they may not put it on the web because they invested so much to to get it out so what is i think uh, um Really, really, uh, this is a tip of the iceberg. So when I was talking about the uh, the uh, known data breaches, this is really just the tip of the iceberg because in in uh, in the background there there's a big uh, um, hack. There are big hackings ha happening all, all all time, and it's not on the news. It's it's not mm -hmm. uh, uh, uploaded to the clear web or the mm -hmm. dark web either. It's uh, there is someone who wants it uh, wants that data. Mm -hmm. And they, no one wants to talk about it. Yeah, um, I just want to bring up on that point because uh, yesterday I read an article which, uh, unfortunately, was um, I think it was a clinical data breach, and 
it was therapeutic patients basically going back as young as when they were kids with this information being collected by hand, but then uploaded into a database, obviously not uh, in a very secure format. And then somebody's got this data and now starting to blackmail those individuals um, with asking for Bitcoin payment. Um, but the interesting part for me was what you just mentioned there is that these breaches supposedly happened three years before, two years before this data was being siphoned off. Um, so I mean, that is just when we think about data breaches, we're assuming that this is something that's happened quite recently, right? But in fact, it's happened like years before. With the actual realization that there's been a data breach, can take so long. Why? Why is that? Why? Why do you think that either both yourself and Troy? Why is it so long for them people to recognize that they've been? they've had a data breach or they've lost information, so especially personal information. you got to remember this is not at all uncommon. Uh, the LinkedIn data breach happened in 2012. It took until 2016 to come to light. Same with Dropbox mm -hmm. as well. MySpace was even longer than that. In fact, we're not even entirely sure when the MySpace <laughs> one actually happened, but we know it came out in about 2016. So uh, th this isn't unusual. I, I think the interesting question is, is, first of all, what is the rationale for uh, keeping it disclosed and then what is the rationale for then leaking it publicly? Now, in, in some cases, inevitably, the data within those breaches is being exploited and it is more exploitable whilst the organisation is unaware of the incident and whilst the individuals are unaware of them. Uh, that LinkedIn incident had passwords stored as SHA-1 hashes. So that 99% of those have already been cracked. So that's a really rich data set of usable credential pairs, and not necessarily for LinkedIn, but for all sorts of other places. Now, I would imagine that uh, whoever had that data, in fact, the guy has been picked up, <laughs> which, mm -hmm. which is good news. I think he got extradited recently. Um, that does provide a long window of opportunity to exploit the users in there. So that would be a good uh, explanation for why keep it private. The question then in terms of why make it public, well, it was originally sold uh, on on the dark web, I'm air quoting this time, <laughs> was uh, was monetized. So there was a reason to, to actually cash in. Now, maybe it didn't provide enough value whilst being held privately anymore and making it public managed to get the guy some Bitcoin. And then, of course, once it goes public, eventually it, uh, it starts circulating and, and then the value of it goes down to zero, which is where it is now. So that, that could be an explanation for, for this particular situation here as well. What I think is, is, is simply that uh, the, I can guess, uh, but someone who did the hacking sold it like a wholesale uh, uh, trading to someone else. And that someone else, as Troy mentioned, uh, 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 try to sell it to someone. Uh, uh, so it's the trading happens and, and keeping it private, keeping it uh, behind closed uh, 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 doors. Mm -hmm. And at some point it got to uh, to people or the people who uh, uh, already uh, had it and it wanted to monetize it uh, on a wider range. And they were just hungry for, for more money. Yeah. And it's uh, and when it happened, it uh, it turned out. So I mean, it's 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 a risk. I mean, if if you try to sell it in bulk, uh, then then uh, you don't get that uh, that price tag. If you sell it in in small uh, pieces, then you get a higher price uh, for the data. But the chances that uh, it is someone will not notice mm -hmm. and uh, notify other people is higher. So that mm -hmm. uh, they went down that roads most probably, uh, uh, and, and the reason why in general, uh, 
um, I think is underpins my previous statement that uh, most of the data breaches are still uncovered and and and, and still we don't know about about it because mm-hmm. it doesn't come to the lights uh, because uh, of uh, this uh, um, sort of retail selling of of data. Mm-hmm. So, well, I mean, one thing that might be relevant in this case, and, and as I was saying before, I've got an inbox full of data breaches. Yeah. A couple of different people have, have emailed me this one. So the one we're talking about, uh, I believe, is, is this Finnish uh, psychotherapy centre called Vastamo. Uh, now, at the moment, this is available on a tour hidden service where uh, the folks here are saying, we have hacked the psychotherapy clinic uh, Vastamo and taken tens of thousands of patient records, including extremely sensitive session notes and social security numbers. We requested a small payment of 40 bitcoins, which I've just checked and is about 524,000 US dollars at the moment. Yeah. Uh, in brackets, nothing for a company with yearly revenues close to 20 million euros, but the CEO has stopped responding to our emails. We are now starting to gradually release their patient records, 100 entries a day, and then there they are. Yeah. So in, inevitably in this case, it's it appears to be financially motivated now. Who knows how long they spent trying to get their 40 Bitcoin before the CEO mm. stopped replying. And yeah, I, I guess now they're hoping for money maybe, but I, I don't think yeah. they're going to get it if they just dump all the data either. Yeah. But is that not, I mean, it's quite distressing for those patients involved, okay, because they put a lot of trust into that organization to be able to protect that data. And what I'm seeing here from the report is that, um, as you mentioned, it was 40 Bitcoin, which supposedly was a refuse to be paid. Um, and then they approached the individuals concerned, um, asking for 200 euros or 180 pounds equivalent of Bitcoin for to stop that mm. information being so it seems that we're in that 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 um, cycle very much now. It's more predominantly visible now that this blackmailing and uh, uh, is going on, whether it's ransomware attacks of encrypting data or getting data and then releasing it by malicious actors. And it's not unprecedented, right? I mean, we, mm. we saw this with Ashley Madison, with uh, individuals who are members of that service mm. being blackmailed. And it's, look, I mean, we know from Ashley Madison too, it, it led to suicide. So it's, yeah. it's just, it, it, it's enormously sad and serious. And it's, uh, you, you can only imagine that if, <laughs> if these folks do get caught, it's probably not going to end up real well for them. Mm-hmm. You'd hope not anyway. Yeah. And so that would lead me to ask is, I mean, exposing data by design is something that you mentioned, but also, I mean, where's, there's a lack of accountability. You've mentioned this, Troy, before. Where's that accountability lie? Is that with the the organisation that should be responsible now for making sure that 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 information is obviously secured? Should they pay the ransom? Should how does it? How do you feel with that? Maybe Ishman as well. Well, I think there's there's multiple ways of looking at it. So you know, what can the organisation do? Uh, data is already being leaked. It's a little bit of that old analogy of, of trying to remove your data from the web is like trying to remove mm. pee from a pool. So, you know, that's like, that's not going to happen. The data that's already been leaked. The, the other discussion then of course, is do we pay ransoms? And this is a discussion that's happening uh, many, many times over now uh, as it relates to ransomware. And it's getting particularly interesting because we're now seeing things uh, like, ransomware crews like Evil Call being on a US sanctions list. And if you pay them, you're going to violate US sanctions. And then you have to answer to Treasury as to why you violated sanctions. So is it even possible to pay ransoms? In the the presentation I had today, there was someone in the in the call from a healthcare organization who said, look, Louis, 
we literally uh, legally cannot pay the ransom because we're we're using public funds uh, and, and there is a legal restriction on our ability to pay any ransom with public funds. So effectively, if, if our healthcare company gets hit, like too bad, no matter how much the ROI makes sense, we can't pay it. So the, it, it is becoming a particularly fascinating area. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, uh, it's certainly a, a question whether... Um, for instance, the uh, CIO of, of a company for uh, paying that 40 bitcoins from uh, the personal funds, not necessarily from the, mm. the company or the organizational uh, budget, uh, because uh, that, that um, the accountability uh, uh, who is accountable is, is the organization and organizational, the, the management of, of that organization at the end of the day. And it's uh, uh, because they decided not to invest enough and mm-hmm. or they decided not to uh, look into, you know, the, uh, the data breaches and, and, the, and they are, uh, you know, the, like the, uh, the New York uh, state introduced the data fiduciary uh, concepts in their regulation. Uh, they, they are data fiduciaries. Mm-hmm. They have their fiduciary duties to uh, protect the data. Uh, what they, uh, you know, someone handed over uh, to them, and if 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 they cannot do that, then well, well, they are not doing their job, and and it's so it's if for for me uh, is uh, with all means you need to protect information, especially when it uh, comes to these uh, uh, um, very very uh, sensitive ones like psychiatric mm-hmm. uh, uh, cases. Um, and, and uh, paying a ransom to, to, uh, you know, prevent that is, uh, is, is a price you need to pay. But uh, obviously the question comes is not just the, uh, can you pay the ransom, uh, um, because it, it might be terrorist funding and mm. money laundering, all these uh, questions, but it's also that, okay, you paid, but what is the guarantee that uh, they will, they won't uh, leak that information? Mm. What's the guarantee that uh, uh, they will? I mean, is these are not respectable businessmen mm-hmm. <laughs> for uh, for the beginning? So yeah, do you think that companies, uh, organizations are in a very difficult place right now? With because there's here in GDPR land, they've got GDPR, so there's a potential risk of fines about the way they're not following certain procedures for um, dealing with data properly and storing data and handling data. Um, and maybe in Australia, if, I don't know if you've got the same thing. I mean, I know that the US is starting to bring in some certain data laws as well. But I know that we earlier on, I think last year, we had a bit of an issue uh, for our organization in dealing with Australian companies because there was some regulation change over there as well. How do you think that either regulation can help or is it basically there's not enough at the moment to be able to um, support or prevent these data leaks? It's uh, it's a very odd time where for something which is so common uh, and so universal, personal data, you know, let, let's say my name and my birth date and it will make it interesting, my sexuality as well. It's all very personal to me. Yeah. And if I live in the UK, I get a very different level of protection to if I live in Australia and then I get a very different level of protection to if I live in China yet we're all using many of the same online systems, less so the Chinese, but certainly the, the, the Brits and us. Uh, and, and I sort of lament the fact that I, I will see a data breach and let's say it doesn't matter where the breach is from, but I'll see a data breach 
and a whole bunch of European people will pop up who for all intents and purposes are equal to me. And they say, this is, I'm going to get all these protections from GDPR because I'm European. And I'm like, well, what about me? <laughs> Shouldn't I have yeah. the same, the same rights. So we have, um, we have some protections in Australia. We got our notifiable data breach screen uh, a couple of years ago, which is a yeah, sort of first iteration of mandatory disclosure laws, but fundamentally different levels of provision. Uh, so, so for example, the three fundamentally different things are GDPR. Uh, number one is rather than it being 72 hours before you have to report to a regulator, it's a month. <laughs> so right. it's, it's like literally 10 times longer. Uh, number two, if your company has revenues of less than, I don't remember if it was either three or $3.5 million a year, uh, basically a number of which more than 90% of companies fall beneath, you don't have to report because that might be hard work on the company. Mm -hmm. So it's literally like the organization responsible for the data loss doesn't have to report it if they're anywhere near a normal size company. And then the third thing was if the breach is unlikely to cause serious harm to the individual, you don't have to report it regardless of your size. So you can be a great big multinational, but you have a simple forum somewhere and because you say, well, it's just a forum to comment on our cats, uh, that's not potentially damaging. We don't have to disclose that. Never mind that all the passwords people are using are the same ones they use on their social media and their other very personal things. So we have a, a massive uh, variance from yeah. different parts of the world. And then the, I guess the thing that then makes GDPR particularly odd is the assumption that it should apply to organisations operating in other parts of the world because they may have the data of data subjects in the EU in there uh, and that other part of the world has then also got to be subject to all these other regulations too. So I, I do fear that we're perhaps drowning a little bit in regulation, which, which right. to date don't seem to have had a fundamental impact on the data breach landscape anyway. Right. Well, I, I, um, there are a few regulations which is going uh, on the opposite direction, like the Australian uh, Assistance and Access Act it's a, a, a recent one, two years, or not that recent, two years ago. They're basically, it's, it's uh, usually quoted as anti-encryption law uh, um, because it, it uh, is uh, banning strong uh, uh, encryption. So that's what is, and it's also that uh, in the EU recently, uh, there are gossips that, uh, that uh, people are pushing to, to ban strong encryption, or they want to have a, a backdoor in, in encryption, so that at the same time there is a, um, um, a sort of lobbying to uh, weakening encryption, which is the fundamental, which is the bedrock of of uh, a mm -hmm. strong uh, uh, secrecy and strong secrecy online. But I, well, I, I do agree, uh, Troy, uh, that we're drowning in uh, in regulation, though I'm. I'm a big fan of of GDPR uh, as at least the uh, the the principles what it introduced. Uh, yes, there are you know the practicalities and how is it implemented and how it will uh, uh, it comes to 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 life. Um, we need to wait a, a few few more years, but I I do believe that that if if you are putting the liability which there was no real liability before. Um, putting a liability on uh, companies and well, basically uh, uh, their uh, mm. shareholders uh, in a way because you are so that the uh, uh, the fees or the penalties are connected to the revenue which is hurting 
the shareholders so that mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the day, um, then you what will you will see is is more investments uh, on uh, prevention, more investments into uh, cyber secrecy because uh, there is a bigger and bigger price tag of uh, of uh, the dam- damages on data breaches uh, in the forms of penalties, but it's also in the forms of of losing losing trust because yeah. you need to publish it. Um, and that will, you know, um, big make the secretary budget bigger. And and I think is uh, what is important is that uh, um, to to know that uh, you, you when you do secrecy, you need to invest in it. It, it yeah. cannot, it it won't happen uh, without money. I mean, it, uh, just pouring money doesn't help either. Uh, you need to uh, make it in a smart way. You need to uh, uh, do it, to build the secrecy program up. But if there is no uh, budget uh, and no um, attention inside an organization for uh, such a crucial uh, part, uh, like protecting the data of uh, the customers, then um, then more data breaches will happen. Mm-hmm. So I think that's leading to the point of where I wanted to come on to around education. And I think obviously we're becoming more aware of what, what's happening out there and people are starting to take it more seriously. Maybe also here in GDPR land for the sake of GDPR being implemented. Um, but what direction do you both see now going forward? What what do you think some positive solutions could be um, on top of um, what we already have? I mean, we see a lot of breaches. We've also got these, um, as you mentioned, password managers to put your password in. So we're getting help with our passwords. I mean, I see things like like last night I was watching a documentary with regards to China and US and the race for AI, artificial intelligence and facial recognition. So is there potentially more um, security further down the line as as AI develops, for example, to help us keeping things very secure, or is there a potential? Is there poten- uh, more threats uh, to our data out there with quantum computing, for example? I think it's uh, it's one of these ones where there's. It almost feels like I'm walking around the RSA conference. You know, it's mm-hmm. like AI and blockchain and quantum computing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that infosec are you in London? In the middle of last year, and I remember seeing a stand selling next-gen blockchain. <laughs> that was the uh-huh. thing. So I'm a little bit conscious. There's a lot of a lot of buzzwords around this. Um, look, I, I, th- I think there are some roles for these technologies to play. Inevitably, not as not mm-hmm. as much to date, at least as we've seen prophesized. I I think that going back to your, your point about education. Um, one of the the challenges is how do we how do we educate several billion internet connected people mm-hmm. uh, about online security about things like passwords, and, and this is a massively hard challenge. Um, now I've got a blog post I'm hopefully publishing the next day or so about about people being able to recognize URLs and and effectively how bad we all are at reading URLs and being able to figure out whether or not you can trust it or not. Now, this is not something that we can educate away. Uh, I can't tell from a URL whether it's bad or not, particularly once we have homoglyphic characters and or homographic characters and, and this sort of thing as well. Um, the, the sorts of things that we can practically do, which I think help our privacy online, is just being more conscious about information we share. 
Now, an example I always give here is that something like your date of birth is knowledge-based authentication. This is what I went to Congress to talk about. It's static knowledge-based authentication as well. You can't change it, yet it's regularly used as a piece of identity verification data. Don't hand that out to catforum.com. And I don't say that as a joke. Literally, if you go and register at catforum.com, I checked this just because I wanted to pick like the most inane site I could think of. Catforum.com will ask you for your date of birth when you register. Now, not providing that data removes the risk of that website losing the data. I mean, this is one of the, the principles of GDPR around data minimization. Like, let's not have data we don't need. Let's not give organizations data we don't need to give them. And I would like to see organizations being more responsible about minimization and then us as individuals also being more responsible about minimizing the data that we willingly provide. Because there is an attitude of maximization as you previously mentioned, right? So we want to maximize mm. what data we can collect. And when we go online sometimes, and let's just say we want an ebook or we want some kind of information, sometimes the forms that we have to fill out uh, are pretty in depth about the information they require for us to get the, the information that we want. Uh, well, when I, um, when I announced I was going to do that talk at Congress um, and I sort of crowdsourced some ideas, someone gave me a really great statement, which I, I did actually put in my testimony, which relates to what you just said. And, and the statement was that organizations look at our data as an asset and they never look at it as a liability. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's an asset, they want as much of it as they can possibly get. Uh, if it's a liability, they want as little of it as they can possibly get. So we really got to try and shift that mindset from asset to liability. And I think it's, it's a great analogy, but it's also uh, what I would, uh, uh, I would, uh, the education and the re- the reason why I really like the Have I Been Pwned's uh, website, I'm sorry for my accent, Troy. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so the, uh, the, the reason why I really like, because uh, it, uh, that website makes, uh, makes it real. So that, uh, when I showed uh, to, to my wife, for instance, uh, that uh, type in your email address, and then, oh, I have been hacked. Why? And, and it make it makes real, so that it's. I think it's important that people demanding accountability, so that the yes regulations puts mm. uh, uh, accountability on on someone, but the 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 very person who's uh, whose data is at risk uh, should demand uh, higher higher uh, uh, standards and if it, it it's only it can only come from education mm-hmm. because if if people are not demanding from services to make make sure that is uh, they are um they are you know uh, investing in cyber secrecy if if people will not drop the service immediately after they realize uh, they realize that they're not uh, doing a good job in protecting their data, then nothing will happen. So it's, it, it all comes to, um, uh, to education of uh, private, private individuals who are, who want to watch cat videos uh, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, that, yeah, use, use a fake uh, birth date or something, yeah. uh, or ask yourself, why does this mm-hmm. website wants, uh, want it from me? So. And it, uh, 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 this type of education, this type of realization, it's not necessarily an education because it's, it's more like people need to realize that they are at risk. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, uh, that's a, it's a, it's a big, uh, uh, and important, mm-hmm. uh, uh, way of, of preventing. Yeah. 
Um, that might explain why some of the uh, forms that I get from in my lead pipe tend to have fictitious <laughs> names around them, especially if they're CISOs and uh, et cetera. I just wanted to finish off because we've got five minutes left before we have to wrap up the, the podcast. And I'm sure you've got other things that you need to get onto with your day. But um, the COVID situation, of course, yeah, it can't be escaped, can't get away from it. Um, what's the risks now with people potentially working remotely, especially if you are working for an organization, so work from home? Um, I think, is there a case that people need to be more security conscious? Um, is the risks higher just because of this situation? What's your feelings around the COVID? Um, has it brought, let's say, has it brought an awareness uh, that awareness forward um, from working remotely. I mean, I know a lot of people have been working remotely for quite a long time, but certainly in Europe, we're a little bit more conservative. We have to go to the office. Um, what do you see there? What do you see with with the, the whole COVID situation? I, uh, I I think it's it's a combination of of the risks are higher by virtue of having more people doing work things outside the workplace without the time to properly prepare for it. And we've seen things like the number of Zoom meetings, uh, people have mm -hmm. Zoom bombed and inevitably listened into to things they shouldn't have through to the, the risks just simply being different. And a, and a good example of the latter is we had a, a short period there where our kids needed to work from home and uh, my son's sitting in his bedroom and his laptop on one of the first days and I was quite impressed to see all the other boys in his class, he's in a boys school, mm -hmm. also sitting there in their laptops and I thought that was all very organised. And then one of them is obviously sitting in the, lap, in, the, in the living room and his dad's walking behind him on a phone call having a business meeting yeah, with, with like clearly audible information. And I'm mm -hmm. like, all of these kids and who knows how many of their parents are sitting there like listening to this business call. So because of the way it changes the way we work, it's not just a question of we might have more direct risks online in terms of uh, entering our credentials into a phishing page or something like that, but it, it changes a whole bunch of other environmental factors as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think there's all sorts of aspects of being a sudden unplanned remote workforce that we're yet to see the full effect of. Just uh, for me, another uh, react on the the uh, the dad walking with a uh, with a phone. I um I'm also when I'm working from home, um, um I'm the room the working room is close to to my baby's room, and uh, uh, my wife usually uh, leaves the baby monitor turned on in mm -hmm. in that room, and when the baby is not uh, uh, there, the door is open, and it's basically the baby monitor is broadcasting my my discussion uh, uh, to to the air. And I'm, uh, uh, I need to keep on switching off or, uh, you know, closing the door, not to broadcast uh, the potentially confidential information what I'm uh, I'm doing. But it's it's that environment when, when you are at home, it's, you can use it can easily happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And with, with the COVID situation um, as well, the, I can see already some companies saying that we're not going to go back to the office, for example. There are some companies that already come forward now. You can have a permanently work-from-home situation. Um, again, is that something you feel like hopefully once we get over this COVID situation where – people will be more educated about the security aspects, not just the people themselves, but the organizations as well, because we're putting a lot of trust in people's own infrastructure, I suppose, right? Where I work from home, 
I've got to have the right Wi-Fi. I've got to have the right security settings up. We've gone through uh, at Trezor um, a security training seminar um, to work from home. But I think there's probably still a lot of cases out there where people just aren't aware of potentially the risks in their own home that, um, that, that they could be confronted with. Well, you know, I think forever is a long time as well. <laughs> so so let's, let's see how that works out. I'm sure there was a phase there where in those heady.com times, people thought they'd be having free lunches, literally free lunches mm -hmm. forever and, you know, water slides and whatever else they had in their Google offices. Um, I, I think this is one of these things which is going to take quite a while to adapt to. Even if we get to the point of, let's think about something simple like unlocked laptops in a home. Uh, you know, what's, what is the risk that that poses? But you know, then again, we're also sort of moving risk, aren't we? There are other risks the, that we incurred when we transited backwards and forwards and had those laptops in the car on the in the shops mm -hmm. on the way to work. So yeah, maybe one way of looking at this is that there are aspects of security that that may not necessarily be better or worse, but they will be different. Mm -hmm. What I what I see is uh, that um, it it is pushing the organisations uh, uh, to really uh, upgrade their system and the way of uh, system because a lot of enterprises are are currently uh, looking at their um it system as a fortress mm -hmm. so that they they need to build walls uh, around uh, their um you know uh, information assets around the people and around the laptops and and try to protect uh, uh protect the these assets and uh and recently, uh, not, I mean, uh, because of the COVID, but uh, uh, a few years ago started this zero trust and uh, this SASE uh, frameworks type of thinking that, okay, try not to view your organization as a fortress. Mm -hmm. Because uh, if, if something, there is one, one infection, one malware, or, or one uh, weak point, and someone gets into that fortress, they can get everything they want. Mm -hmm. So try to uh, build inner walls. Try to uh, mm -hmm. to make sure that uh, uh, you are securing in the independent computers. In the, uh, you're authenticating uh, the users. You're making sure that you're you're not assuming. Uh, uh, when you are um, in on the network or uh, on a physical side, that will protect everything. Mm -hmm. So that uh, this uh, this um, sort of uh, thinking process, uh, this uh, type of uh, uh, architecture, uh, came into uh, to life um, and start uh, before COVID, and more and more organizations will be uh, pushed into into this uh, mm -hmm. because of. You know, single laptops in a single home, mm -hmm. uh, and and as, as Troy mentioned, how to make sure that those laptops, when it's carried to to home and back and forth, mm -hmm. uh, the these laptops will not leak information if being stolen mm -hmm. or lost. Yeah. So, uh, it, these these things was there out there as as a, a security architecture before. Uh, as uh, um, security professionals were always saying, don't trust your whole network. Uh, uh, now it's 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 just um, another motivation, uh, another push. Yeah, and I think final thoughts on this and this situation potentially brings for organisations an acceleration for moving to the cloud, potentially because of 
people working remotely and maybe they don't have existing infrastructure that can cope with that very well. Is that something that you potentially can see as well, that companies will reorganize and take cloud adoption more seriously? Because um, there are always those ones that have been sitting on the line or sitting on the fence um, thinking that there is still that, in, you know, there's a risk with cloud services. What do you both see see there now going forward? Final thoughts. It's a little bit like the, the last answer where cloud doesn't necessarily make things less secure, or even more secure. Mm-hmm. It, it makes things differently secure. And the, the sort of the example I always go, I remember uh, years ago when we started going to the cloud, I mean, let, let's go back, you know, five to 10 years. Uh, and I'd sort of give the example of, well, you know, when we move something to the cloud, we, we very often have a much more uh, focused, well-resourced team looking after your cloud things as opposed to you know, when we had the on-prem things. So, you know, that's a good example of where things change. It, it doesn't mean that they won't go wrong. It just means that the security posture is different to what it was before. So that I would sort of encourage people to look at each, each aspect of moving things to cloud in, in terms of how does security change as opposed to some sort of uh, atomic, is it better or worse? Mm-hmm. What, what I see uh, uh, based on our own experience uh, that uh, more and more uh, companies uh, considering clouds and yes, with with the caution, as uh, Troy mentioned, with that, uh, uh, you know, is it good for us or not? But at least uh, more and more, I mean, banks, uh, European banks were were naturally considering uh, clouds uh, um, or using cloud as as a as an alternative to uh, to their internal system, and now uh, they are, and mm-hmm. and uh, uh, so what we we can expect that more information and more uh, companies will uh, think about and move into the clouds um, not everything mm-hmm. for sure uh, because because uh, uh, as Troy mentioned it's it's uh, uh, it's a differently secure than than an on-premise uh, system and and there will be systems which kept on-premise for 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 long um, but certainly uh, that will create a uh, new and bigger challenges as we move on, that uh, these uh, type of um, conservative uh, companies sitting on big, big amounts of confidential data mm-hmm. is uh, uh, pouring that data into the cloud. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I think with the hours up, I really appreciate you guys coming down and uh, running this podcast with me today. And uh, I hope that uh, down in Australia, you'll have a, a successful and a good evening. I think you're going to continue to write your your blog and i'll be following that quite closely ishvan thanks for coming in this morning um early this morning um, for us and uh i wish you both uh, all the best thanks very much for joining thank you thanks guys cheers see you later and that is all for today's episode of under control you can find links to all our social platforms and to our guests in the episode description if you like the show make sure you subscribe and leave a review Join me again in two weeks' time for the next episode.